Join me this morning by turning in your Bible to Genesis chapter 45. And today I want us to continue our focus, to continue our study on the curious life of Joseph, the son of Jacob. We've been studying Joseph the last two weeks and we've seen some of the surprising twists and turns in his life. We have gained wisdom for godly living. But I really believe the most valuable, the most important lesson we can learn from Joseph's life is the one we will focus on today. I can't wait to share this message with you. Now, we're going to look at the second half of Joseph's life today. But before we look at the second half, we need to notice something from the first half of his life, something very important. Sometimes people hurt people. Do you know that? Sometimes people hurt people. We see this in the first half of Joseph's life. It seems like almost every person he knew hurt him in some way, brought pain into his life in some way. Sometimes people hurt people. We know that. Many of you have the emotional scars or the wounds that declare that truth. People hurt people. It can happen in marriages. A husband or wife may say something uh, that he or she shouldn't say or do something that he or she shouldn't do and it brings pain and anguish and heartbreak in the relationship. It can happen in our extended families. It's odd how sometimes the people we love the most can bring the greatest pain in our lives. It can happen with our friends. It can happen in the church. It can happen in the workplace. Sometimes people hurt people. And if anybody knew that, it was Joseph. Joseph grew up in a dysfunctional family. He was not set up for success by his father. His brothers hurt him in a grave way. They grabbed hold of him one day, threw him in a pit, sold him as a slave. They stole his future. They stole his hope. Can you imagine being treated so badly by somebody in your family, your own flesh and blood, and then Joseph ends up in the capital city of Egypt as a slave. He serves in the house of Potiphar. He gives his heart and soul to serving this man. Yet Potiphar's wife hurts Joseph. She lies about him, tries to ruin his reputation. Potiphar uh, wrongly accuses him of a crime, throws him into prison. Joseph sits in prison and he knows this. Sometimes people hurt people. Then... Joseph makes a friend, maybe the first friend in his life. We're not sure, but he makes a friend in prison. And this friend says, Joseph, when I get out of prison, I will remember you and I will get you out of prison. So finally, there's some hope. But what does Joseph's best friend do? Well, as soon as he gets out of prison, he forgets Joseph. Sometimes people hurt people and Joseph knew that. If anybody ever needed a therapist, it was Joseph. Yet, Joseph never responded badly to all of this hurt. Joseph was a man who was filled with peace. He was a man who knew joy. He had strength. There is no anger in Joseph's story. There is no resentment in his life. There are no signs of bitterness. This is shocking to me. Joseph was a man who suffered some of the worst hurt, some of the greatest relationship failures a person could suffer, yet he was a man of joy and peace and strength all the way to the end. 
And the thing that I think makes this even more amazing to me is that Joseph had the chance to even the score. We're going to see that as we get a little further into the message today. But Joseph could have evened the score with his brothers. Joseph could have gone back and taken care of Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. But even with that opportunity, Joseph was never vengeful. He was never angry. He was healthy. He handled this in a beautiful way. And what could have destroyed his life ended up being a blessing in his life. You and I need to know the secret of that. All of us have been hurt. All of us will be hurt. How can we go through times of hurt and it not destroy us? How can we go through these times and have strength and peace and joy? We need to know what Joseph knew. So let's look at his story. We know the first half of his life, if you've been following these messages in recent weeks. Now we come to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to read in 45, but let me catch you up with the story. I encourage you this week, read this story, starting in 41, read to 45. It's a fascinating story, many details. We're going to go through most of them very quickly just to get to the point at the end of the story. This will be a great passage to study. So Genesis chapter 41, here's what happens. Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, has a dream. Uh, he ends up having an encounter with Joseph. Joseph interprets the dream and gives Pharaoh some advice for how to handle the new situation that, that is before him. The Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he makes him the second highest ruler in the land of Egypt. What a promotion. From the prison to the palace, Joseph is now the king. Well, then there are some years of famine. Joseph is running things, famine comes, but Joseph is prepared. So people from the surrounding areas, all over Egypt, but really even beyond Egypt, begin to come to Joseph to get food. They come to Joseph to get grain because he's the only one who is prepared. Well, that's Genesis 41. Genesis 42, Joseph's old family, the brothers that had sold him into slavery, the father that, uh, that he remembers, his mother, his, his whole family, they get hungry. There's a famine in the land. And so the 10 brothers travel to the capital city of Egypt to get some food from this new ruler. Of course, they had no idea that it was Joseph. They didn't know what had happened to Joseph. But they travel to the capital city, these 10 brothers, to get the food, and they come to Joseph. Now, they never recognize him. They never know who it is that they're talking to. But Joseph does recognize them. So you wonder, what's Joseph going to do? Now Joseph has a chance to get even. Joseph can throw them into prison. Joseph could have them, have them executed. What does Joseph do? Nothing. He gives them the grain. He sends them home. He never reveals who he is. It seems like the end of the story. But a few months later, the family gets hungry again. And so the brothers go back. This time it's not 10 brothers, it's 11 brothers. Uh, another brother had been born uh, to Joseph's father and Joseph's mother since Joseph had been sold as a slave. So now 11 brothers, and they return for food again. This time, though, everything's going to be different. So we come to Genesis chapter 45, and here we read some of the most dramatic verses in the entire Bible. 
Joseph is going to reveal his identity to his brothers. So Genesis 45, let me just read verse 3. There's so much drama here. There's so much that we really need to see between the lines. But I'll read it and you imagine it. It says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Well, I'm sure they were. Here they are standing in front of Joseph, and he is uh, obviously a man of power and authority. And he stands and looks at them eyeball to eyeball, and he says, I am Joseph. And their hearts just sunk. They they probably couldn't even breathe. They didn't know what to say. So it says that they were terrified. Look at verse 4. I think this verse is just funny. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. And they came near. And this is what he says. I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. So he asks them to step closer. And he gets right down in front of them. And he says, remember, the last time you saw me, you were selling me as a slave to the Egyptians. Well, they're scared to death. What is Joseph going to do? We're going to read the verses that follow as we get a little further into the message. But skip down to verse 9. Joseph says to the brothers, return quickly to my father. And to my mother, I'm sure, it's Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day, we must include that. Return quickly to my father and my mother and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt, come down to me without delay. Now see church, that's amazing. Here Joseph has been hurt, he has been mistreated, he's been taken advantage of, He has been forgotten. He gets a chance to to really share his his feelings about this. He gets a chance to even the score. And what does Joseph do? He says, it's so good to see you. And he invites the whole family to come and move in with him. This is such an unlikely story. We need to know Joseph's secret. So how was it that Joseph was able to have such strength? How was he able to avoid the resentment and the anger and the bitterness that every single one of us deals with when people hurt us? Well, I think there are three things. Three things that were true of Joseph that we see in this account. Three things that should be, need to be true of us if we're going to survive the hurt that comes our way. Number one, we must focus on the sovereignty of God. Joseph did this. He would remember when he would be hurt, when he would get hurt, he would remember that it's not the people who have hurt me who are in charge, but God is the one who is in charge. He knew that he could put his trust in the sovereignty of God, the faithfulness of God, the reliability of God. Even when his life was falling apart or seemed to be falling apart, he knew that God was on his throne. Now let's, let's see that in the passage. So we're still in Genesis 45. Let's read verse 8 that we skipped a moment ago. Joseph is talking to his brothers and he says, Therefore it was not you who sent me here, but God. 
He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph said to his brothers, you think you sent me to Egypt? You didn't send me to Egypt. God sent me to Egypt. Now, don't you see Joseph's heart there? Don't you see how Joseph thought about things? He didn't focus on the hurt and say, you've been so mean to me. You've been nasty to me. I can't believe you did that. No, Joseph looked to God and then said to his brothers, you didn't send me here. God sent me here. My focus is on the sovereignty of God. You see this again at the, a few years later. And if you just hold your finger there in Genesis 45 and turn to the last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50, Joseph's dad, Jacob, dies. And when he dies, his brothers are really scared. They're wondering, maybe Joseph has been kind to us only because our dad is alive. Now that dad has gone, now Joseph is going to get his revenge. So let's read some of that story. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. So it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. They're scared to death that now the hammer is going to come down. So we're going to look at the intervening verses uh, a little later. But look at verse 18. His brothers also came to him. They bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. So they're, they're groveling. They're scared. Joseph is going to get us back. Well, look at verse 20. Joseph says, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good. Joseph acknowledged his brothers were sorry. What they did was wrong. It was evil. But Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. When I was hurt by you, I didn't put my focus on you. I kept my focus on God because I knew that you were ultimately in control. God was the one who was in control. And that was the key. Listen, that was the key to Joseph having joy and peace even while he was being mistreated and hurt by his brothers. Sometimes we just need to remember that God has a purpose in everything. Maybe if you're going through a difficult time, uh, God's purpose is to prepare you for something more, something greater that he wants you to do in the days to come. I think that was true in Joseph's life. Had Joseph not gone through these hardships, he could never have been the king of Egypt. He, he needed to learn strength and fortitude and, and patience. How did he learn that? Same way you and I learn those things. You go through hardships. So maybe the hurt is simply the next step to preparing you for what God has in the days to come. Maybe God allows you to go through a time of hurt just so you will be drawn closer to him. At the end of the day, the most important thing in life is how close we are to the Lord. And sometimes the best way to get closer to the Lord is just to go through a time of difficulty. Maybe God's purpose is that in the midst of the hurt that you might become a signpost for the love and glory of God. Have you ever thought about 
the fact that when you are hurt, when someone mistreats you, that you now have a beautiful opportunity to bring honor and glory to God like you did not have before. Maybe that's God's purpose. Or maybe God just wants to increase your longing for heaven. Uh, I think sometimes our lives are so comfortable and so easy. We don't have a longing for heaven. And I think God allows some difficulties to come into our lives to help us just stop and think how, how much, how badly we want to go and be with him in heaven. If we're going to overcome the hurt, number one, we have to focus on the sovereignty, the providence, the reliability, the faithfulness of God. And it's clear that that's what Joseph did. Now, the second thing we must do, we must refuse to delay forgiveness. Don't delay forgiveness. We must forgive the person who has, who has hurt us. Now, let me take a time out here and say something I, I think is important to say, and I try as a pastor to say this every time I speak to this issue. To forgive somebody does not mean you should live in an abusive situation. If you are in a situation where you are being abused physically, sexually, or any other way, you need to get out of that situation. Do not misconstrue anything I say about forgiving people to lead you to believe that, that God wants you to stay in a situation that's not safe. And if anybody ever tells you that the Bible says you should stay in an unsafe situation, that you should stay in an abusive situation, you tell them that your pastor said they're wrong, and they are wrong. If you're in an abusive situation, get out, find help, reach out to the church. We want to be your advocate. Do not stay in an abusive situation. But we should forgive, even in an abusive situation. We should forgive, and we must not delay forgiveness. This is so important. If we're going to live with peace and joy in the midst of pain and hurt, we must forgive, and we must forgive quickly. Uh, I think probably the best illustration for this is the one that Jesus gave. In Matthew chapter 18, there's a parable, one of the most beautiful parables in the Bible. Jesus says there was a man that owed millions of dollars. No way he could pay that back. So he goes before the king, he goes before the ruler, and he just begs for mercy. He says, please, give me mercy. I don't have the money. I can't pay it back. And the king, I mean, this is shocking, surprising. The king says, okay, it's forgiven. You don't owe it anymore. The debt is covered. You're free to go. So it was an unexpected blessing. It was an unbelievable blessing. But this uh, debtor leaves the chamber of the king so excited, he has been forgiven millions of dollars. Well, when he exits, he runs into a, to another man who owes him a couple of hundred dollars, maybe $200, maybe $300. And he grabs hold of that man and he says, you pay the debt that you owe to me. And that man gives the same speech that the previous man gave before the king. He says, I don't have the money. Will you show me mercy? And this man says, no, I will not show you mercy. And he has him thrown into debtor's prison because he won't pay back the two or $300. Well, you can see the problem here. This man had been forgiven millions, but he wouldn't forgive 200. How dare him have such, uh, su such insensitivity to the, 
man who owed him the $200. Well, as the parable goes, the king finds out. The king always finds out, right? So the king brings the original man in who owed the millions of dollars, and he says, I can't believe after I forgave you so much that you would not turn around and forgive this other man such a small debt. And you know what the king does? The king throws that first man into prison, and he tortures him for the rest of his days. That, when you read that parable, you think, how, how could that be? What kind of crazy message are you giving to us, Jesus? Because we know when we hear the story that the king represents God the Father, the man who owed the millions, that we, that's us. We owe an unpayable debt to God because of our sin, but we've come before God. We have, we have sought forgiveness, mercy, and grace. God has given that to us. And so we understand that part of the story, but then when it says that the, that the king has thrown this man into a torture chamber, we think, could that really be true? Well, let me just read to you the actual text. Uh, I'm afraid if I didn't read it, you would think I wasn't explaining it accurately. But listen, Matthew 18, verse 34, says, and because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. Well, until he could pay meant for the rest of his life, there was no way he would pay back the millions, especially being tortured. I'm sure when people heard this, they thought, Jesus, what, an, what a crazy story. Would God really do that? And so Jesus followed it it up with one more sentence. Listen to this, verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. If we refuse to forgive, we will have such bitterness and anger and resentment in our hearts, it'll destroy us. The Bible makes that so clear. And we all know people like that. I'm thinking of some people like that, that, I, that who, whose lives have just been overcome with bitterness and anger and resentment. And they probably don't know. It's hard to see this when you're in the middle of it. But it is true. It is the biblical truth. If we don't forgive, we will suffer for that. So what does it mean to forgive? To forgive means that we take the hurt that has been inflicted upon us and we refuse to charge it to the other person's account. We refuse to say, you owe me for that. I will take the pain that you have caused and it's my pain. I will not charge it to your account. Now, I know what you're thinking. Same thing going through my mind. That's not fair. You hurt me. It shouldn't be charged to my account. It should be charged back to your account. But that goes right back to this story. No, because God has forgiven me of so much, because God has forgiven my sins, my sins and my rebellion against the Lord, because God has forgiven all of that, I ought then, in light of that, to be able to bear your pain that you have caused me and forgive you. Because God has forgiven me of so much, I should then be able to turn around and out of the wellspring of that forgiveness, I should be able to forgive you. To forgive means to refuse to hold the pain, the cost to someone else, 
someone else's account. Now, let me give you just a ABC one, two, three, how to forgive. And I want to move on in the message, but I want to be practical here as well. So let me tell you how to forgive somebody very specifically. Number one, or letter A, keep some perspective. Now, by perspective, I mean keep in mind that God has forgiven you. If you don't keep that in mind, you're not going to be able to forgive. The only way I'm able to forgive somebody who has hurt me is when I am reminded that God has forgiven me. And it's only when we see that in perspective, it's only when we keep our focus on the fact that we have been forgiven that we can forgive other people. When I talk to people who say, I just can't forgive, almost always the problem is they just can't remember that God has forgiven them. So step number one, keep some perspective. Keep your focus on what God has done for you and it will make it possible for you to forgive others. Secondly, ask for help. When we forgive, we are doing a God thing. You understand? Forgiveness is not something that is really within us at all. In fact, a lost person cannot forgive. When we forgive, we are acting like God. Only God can truly forgive. And so when we need to forgive somebody, we need to call on God for help. We need to say, Lord, forgiveness is not in me. It's just not in me, but it's in you. And I need your help. I need your strength. I need you to help me forgive that person. So keep it in perspective. Call on God for help. And then number three, rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. See, forgiveness is not something that just happens instantly and you will never think of it again. Satan will remind you of the hurt. Satan will remind you of the pain the next day and the next day and the next day. What you have to do is just repeat the first two steps. And when this comes back in your mind, when you think of the pain that they've caused you again the next day, you need to remember again, God has forgiven me of so much more. You need to remember again, I'm calling on the Lord to give me help and strength and direction so that I can forgive. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And over time, Forgiveness will be real and you will be freed from that torture chamber and you will know the joy and the peace that Joseph knew even going through a life of difficulty. Now, I know that some of you are probably thinking it was much easier for Joseph because Joseph's brothers were standing in front of him asking for forgiveness, expressing their sorrow or at least pretending to and, and, and they were saying, please forgive us. We're sorry. We regret it. If the person that hurt me would come to me and say that, then I could forgive them. But I am not going to forgive them if they don't even acknowledge what they've done. If they think they're in the right. If they never apologize. If they never repent. I will not forgive them. Well, then you're wrong. And I want you to see that this was not easy for Joseph. And this was not something that happened because the brothers came and said, we're sorry. By the time the brothers came, Joseph had already forgiven them years before they came, years before they came. Joseph didn't wait for them to say, I'm sorry. No, Joseph forgave them first. And I might say, pastor, how in the world do you know that? Well, good question. If you go back to Genesis chapter 41, and maybe you just make a note of this, Genesis 41, verses 50 through 52, 
uh, tells the story of something that happened in Joseph's life between when he became the king and years before his brothers come onto the scene. Here's what it says. Two sons were born to Joseph before the years of famine arrived. Joseph named the firstborn son Manasseh and said, God has made me forget all of my hardship and my whole family. And the second son, he named Ephraim and said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. See, years before his brothers came, Joseph was blessed with two sons. And he said, this is a new beginning. And I'm taking all the junk, all the trash from my family and from my history. And I am setting it aside. And I am naming my first son. God has made me forget. What it says in the Hebrew, God has made me remember no longer the sins that my family committed against me. And he named his second son Ephraim, which meant God has given me a future. See, years before his brothers came, Joseph dealt with this and he forgave those people. That's why he had joy and peace. Don't wait for somebody to come and ask for forgiveness. You need to declare Manasseh. You need to declare Ephraim. You need to say this is a new beginning. I forgive. I will not be in a torture chamber until they come. They may never come. It doesn't matter if they come. I choose to forgive. So if we're going to have the peace that Joseph had, we have to focus on the sovereignty of God, and we must not delay forgiveness. Now, the last, the last part of this, stay in your lane really reinforces the first two parts. When, when we go through times of hurt, when someone says something they shouldn't say, does something they shouldn't do, breaks a confidence, hurts us in some way, we have a part and God has a part. And it's important that we keep those parts separate, that we stay in our lane. One of the reasons why people's lives come unraveled when they get hurt is because they, they try to do what, what only God can do instead of staying in their lane. Now, I want you to see this in Joseph's life. We go back to Genesis 50. This is the passage we read a moment ago about Joseph's dad, Jacob, dying. Joseph's brothers are scared that now, now that dad is gone, Joseph's going to get revenge. Joseph says he's not. And he says something, we skipped it a moment ago because I wanted to come back to it. Verse 19, so important. It says, Joseph said to them, Joseph says to his brothers, they're scared to death. He said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? That's important. Joseph said, brothers, you don't need to be afraid of me. I'm not God. Now, I mean, this may not have been super comforting to the brothers, but what Joseph was saying is, there's my part and there's God's part. My part is to love you and forgive you. And that's what I'm going to do. The whole idea of whether you should be punished, whether you deserve the wrath of God, what your motives have been, whether you have truly repented, whether you should be struck down from heaven. Listen, that's God's part. I'm going to do my part. And I'm going to love you and show you kindness and forgiveness. I'm not God. What God's going to do, brothers, I don't know. That's above my pay grade. 
I'm going to do my part. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to let God take care of his part. Church, as much as anything else, if we keep that in mind, I think it would help us to navigate these hurts that we go through and have joy. Let's do our part and let's let God do his part. And the whole thing about what was their motive when they hurt me and, and uh, have they truly repented and, 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 and what, what kind of uh, punishment do they deserve and how much mercy should they be given? That is, that is not our part of this. Let's do our part. Let's let God do his part. I want you to see this because it's so important. I want you to see this in the New Testament as well. In Romans chapter 12, two verses, say the same thing, but it just spells it out so clearly. So Romans 12, 19, you'll see this on the screen. He says, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. So that clearly sets out what my lane is and what God's lane is. Vengeance, judgment, that's God's part. And I just need to leave it up to him. Leave him room to do what he's going to do, and I don't need to do that. Then the next verse gives us some very specific instructions. So we see what is God's lane, what then is our lane? Romans 12, 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Now, I think most people miss, the, miss what this verse means. Let me, let me see if I can help. He says our responsibility, our lane, is to show kindness and blessing even to those people, maybe especially to those people that hurt us. Uh, give them something to eat. Give them something to drink. Love on them. Show them the kindness of God. Now, what though about that last part? You will heap fiery coals on their head. Well, that's, that sort of seems like it's a, it's a trick, right? I'm going to show them kindness, but I really, don't, I really don't care for them. I really don't want them to uh, experience kindness. I'm just trying to make it worse for them in the judgment. Now, that's not what this means. There was an Egyptian custom in those days that if somebody wanted to show contrition, if somebody wanted to show that they were sorry about something, they would put this pan on their head with fiery coals in it. Not to burn their head. This isn't about you show them kindness so they will burn in hell. No, they would put this, um, put this thing on their head. There would be fiery coals. They would walk around with this and it would be a sign that they were sorry about something, a sign of their contrition. What he's telling us here is that if we will show people kindness, if we will show people who have hurt us kindness and love, then we will lead them to a place of contrition. We will help them to see the error of their ways. They will, they will be convicted and maybe they will even be converted. We don't show acts of kindness to make it worse for them in the judgment. We show acts of kindness because that may be the greatest opportunity anybody ever has to lead them to a place where they call on Christ for forgiveness and for salvation. In fact, this whole story of Joseph and 
his kindness to his brothers. This whole story is a story, is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of what Christ has done for us and what he offers to us. So I, I know we're long, but let me go back. I want you to see two verses. This, this is just a beautiful picture. Two verses I intentionally skipped earlier because I wanted to come back to them. Genesis chapter 45. This is when Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. They're scared to death. He's trying to calm them down. Look at verse 5. Genesis 45, 5 says, And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. And this is the important part. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve your life. Joseph said, don't calm down, uh, brothers. You think you did something terrible, and I'm going to leave that up to the Lord. But here's the truth of the matter. God used you to send me ahead of you for your safety. Now, keep that phrase in mind. God sent me ahead of you. And now let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 said, God sent me ahead of you. Says it again. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. So here's the message. His brothers are scared to death. Joseph has revealed his identity. There's a lot of questions about what did the brothers do and why did they do it and what's going to happen next. And Joseph said, because he said it twice, we know that this was his point. Brothers, understand, you did all of these things, but here was God's purpose. He sent me ahead of you for your salvation. He sent me ahead so that you would have food in the famine. He sent me ahead to prepare a place for you. He sent me ahead so that he could show his kindness and his love to you today. Now, what does that remind us of? God sent Jesus ahead of us to pay the penalty for our sins, to make it possible that today, in a day of famine, today, in a day of sin, today when we're so desperately in need of the Father, God sent Jesus ahead so that today we could be forgiven. So today we could have salvation. Isn't that amazing? This whole thing is a picture of what God has done for us. Just as God sent Joseph ahead of his brothers, so God has sent Jesus ahead of us. Listen to how the Bible says it in Romans 5.8. God proves his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus has been sent ahead to make it possible that you could have a right relationship with God. If you've never trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, if you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins and you have surrendered your life to him, do it today because God has sent Jesus ahead that you might know him, that you might be connected, adopted into the family of God and know the salvation and the forgiveness that could be yours. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you sent Joseph ahead. Remind us that you have sent Jesus ahead for us. May we embrace that. May we stay in our lanes, forgive people, keep our eyes and focus upon you, and let us know the joy, peace, health, and strength that Joseph knew even 
in times of hurt. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.